This is the last sermon in our series of sermons about the church. And, of course, I wanted to preach this series here before I transition out of ministry here and, and um, the next pastor comes in. I think it's important for us to know what God thinks of the church, what the importance of the church is to Him, and thus should be to us. So we've looked at various images from the, Old, from the New Testament. We've looked at the church as a body, the church as a temple, the church as a flock under the care of the Good Shepherd, the church as a bride of Christ, as Jake preached last Sunday. And today, we're looking at another image, another metaphor in the New Testament. This comes directly from Jesus and is found in John 15. And the metaphor is of the vineyard. Christ is the vine, the church is the branches of that vine. So let me read John 15, 1-17, and then I'll tell you how we're going to address this particular image. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Well, this is our text. The metaphor is very clear. The Father, God, is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. Jesus is the true vine. And out of that vine come out branches that are supposed to bear fruit. We are the branches. Churches are branches. Organizations are branches if we widen the metaphor. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at each of the elements of this metaphor and break it down a little bit and hopefully help us to understand how we are to 
to process this image and apply it into our lives and into the life of our church. So first, let's look at the skilled vine dresser. Secondly, the true vine. And lastly, the fruitful branches. The skilled vine dresser, the true vine, and the fruitful branches. Now, I'm a city boy. I don't know much about gardening. Um, When I was growing up, we did spend some of our summers in the village, so I observed a little bit of that, all very foreign to me then and now. But I realized and, and have learned now just looking through various commentaries and looking online just to figure out, figure out just what gardening is about, that the job of the gardener is to make the plants do what plants are supposed to do. That's really what it is. They're cultivating a garden, they're cultivating particular plants and enabling them to do what they are supposed to do. So if it's a flower, the job of the gardener would be for that plant to produce flowers that are beautiful. And so the gardener will cultivate it, would do what needs to be done to create an environment where that plant could be healthy and bear the fruit it's supposed to bear. So if it's an apple tree, the gardener would do what he needs to do or she needs to do so that apple would produce apples, apple tree produce apples. And so the gardener is really one that comes alongside and enables the plant or the tree or whatever is in the garden to do what it's supposed to do, what it's designed to do. So it's cultivation towards health. It's cultivation towards fruit and fulfillment. It's really making something act consistently with its nature. Now God is such a gardener in our lives. Matthew Henry says, Never was any vine dresser so wise, so watchful about his vineyard as God is about his church, which therefore must prosper. He says that God enables the church to prosper, to become what it's supposed to become. God is a gardener that takes a church or takes an individual believer and enables them to act consistently with who they are. It's about the nature of that person. If you abide in the vine, you're supposed to bear certain fruit. And so God comes alongside and does whatever needs to be done so that the branch or the plant produces an appropriate type of fruit. I think it helps to imagine the church as God's garden in which he cultivates the health of every believer. Think about it. Imagine in your mind a garden. We're all in the garden right now. We're all different plants. We all bear slightly different fruit. And yet God works with each one of us in such a careful and intentional way so that each one of us becomes who we're supposed to be in God's vision for our lives. God has imagined you to be a certain way. God has designed you to be a certain way. And so his work of gardening or cultivation enables you to reach that. Maybe not immediately. A lot of it takes time. There's obstacles to overcome. But a patient gardener, a skilled gardener, will enable a plant to become what it's supposed to be. And so God enables us to become what we are supposed to be. According to our new nature in Christ, the Holy Spirit nurtures us, cultivating a different kind of life in us so we can produce the right fruit. So God deals not just with every believer, but with every movement or denomination or organization so as to make them the most fruitful. Now, I think that's really encouraging to think that God is so specific 
that He's so intentional, that He's so careful, that He knows each one of us and He knows who we are. And so that He works in our lives to make us who we're supposed to be, to continue to grow, to continue to bear fruit that God has designed us to bear. Now, of course, the other side of gardening, as I'm learning, is getting rid of plants that do not fulfill their purpose. If the vine does not produce grapes, there's very little reason for the vine dresser to keep caring for the vine. He might be patient for a while. He might try different things to bring it to health. But eventually, if there's no fruit, he will get rid of it and plant another vine that will bear fruit. Now look at verse 2. Every branch in me, this is Jesus speaking, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, meaning God the Father, takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now there's a promise and a warning in this verse. The promise is that God will work to make an individual believer or a community of believers more fruitful. And God's work is described as pruning. Again, city boy, not much pruning in my life. But I remember my grandpa who had a little garden in the village and I would occasionally visit him when I was a kid. He would prune the plum trees and the apple trees. And it looked awful when he did that. It was like he maiming the trees. I mean, it's, it's, they just didn't look very healthy after they were pruned. He would cut off branches and then he would put... Something on it just looked odd. And so there would be this tree with cut off branches, and my grandpa would say, But yeah, wait till the fruit comes. The fruit will be better, there'll be more of it. And of course, I enjoyed the fruit, but I didn't understand the process. But the process of pruning is you have to cut off parts of the tree, in that case, part of a plum tree, that do not produce fruit. Maybe some of the older branches or unhealthy branches or maybe dead branches need to be cut off so the energy of the tree is not spent on those things but now could be channeled into producing sweet fruit. And so as a kid, very enjoyable to eat the plums, but I didn't understand the process. As a grown-up and as a believer, I understand the process. God does that with us. God prunes us. He cuts off part of our lives that are not fruitful, that perhaps are unhealthy, that are dead even, so that we can bear fruit, so we could become who we're supposed to be, and so we could fulfill our purpose, which is to bear fruit towards Him and towards others. And so God does that. He brings difficulty into your life. He brings sickness into your life. He brings suffering into your life. And often for a Christian, we think, well, this is a sign of God's anger. He's not happy with me. I'm a bad Christian, so he's sending me these things to punish me. But in most cases, for a believer, it's the opposite. God is sending those things to you to make you more fruitful. It is because God is committed to you. It's because he does love you, because he does care for you, that he is pruning you. Because he sees your potential. He knows your purpose. He knows your nature. And so he's going to arrange your life in such a way that you would produce more fruit. Now, look carefully at, at what Jesus says. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. It's not that you're not bearing fruit and then God does something in return, sort of a consequence for your sin. 
No, it's as, as you are being fruitful, God does something in your life to make you more fruitful. That's the logic of the passage. If you don't bear fruit, the branch is thrown away. But if you bear fruit, God prunes you so you can bear more fruit. Now, imagine your life. If you had this kind of perspective on difficulty and pain and suffering in your life. What if you prayed, and what if I prayed prayers like this? Father, I know that you are a skilled gardener. I know that you know exactly who I am. You know my nature and you know my purpose because you have determined it for me. And so prune me, this is a prayer, prune me, change me, introduce whatever difficulty you want in my life so I could bear more fruit towards you. And when things happen that day or that week or that month, you say, thank you that you are working with me so I could become who I really am in you. Not be distracted, not spend my energy on the sick and unhealthy and dead areas of my life, but so I could be focused on what is important for me to focus on. Imagine a difference in your life if you took those kind of difficult things in life as signs of God's work in your life meant to produce a greater life, a better life, a more meaningful life for you. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that there are no consequences for your sins. Of course, there are. Sometimes you would do something stupid and something bad happens after that. That's how life works a lot of times. But for a believer who seeks to walk with Christ, most of the negative things in your life are not really negative. They are sent from God to make you more fruitful. This is God pruning you. This is God working with you. This is God who knows your heart. God who knows everything about your life. It's changing you by introducing difficult circumstances into your life. Pruning is like that. You cut parts of the tree off. That's why it looks weird when the trees are pruned. They don't look healthy but they are healthy. And so they become more fruitful. I wonder if we all prayed like that and lived like that. If in the morning we'd get up and say, God, how are you going to prune me today? What are you going to do in my life? Because I, I want to know, I want to expect it. I want to be ready to change. So what are the areas of my life that you are changing? Where are you introducing suffering into my life so I can bear more fruit towards you? Now, that's the positive. This is God. This is a promise that God will prune those who bear fruit so they can bear more fruit. There's also a warning in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, this is pretty clear, isn't it? If a believer or a church does not bear fruit, they are thrown away, rejected by God, and eventually punished eternally. This is the plain meaning of the text. We have to wrestle with passages like that. Yes, I believe that if you are abiding in Christ, if you are a true believer, that you will not be rejected by Christ because he has already accepted you by grace. I believe that. I think Scripture is very clear on the security and the and the promises that Jesus will keep you, that his grace will not run out even if you sin. 
But we need to take these passages at face value as well. We need to look and say, what is God saying to us through a passage, through a warning like this? I don't think there is a distinction between a person who is saved yet lives an unfruitful life and one that is saved and fruitful. I think the distinction is between true and fake. The distinction is between true believer who abides in the vine and thus will inevitably bear fruit and one who does not abide in the vine but may look like a branch for a time. Maybe a true believer will bear a little bit of fruit. Maybe not much. Maybe it will be over a long period of time. But there must be fruit if the branch is connected to the vine. The nature of the vine goes through the branch and into the fruit. It has to happen that way. Look at verse 8, for example. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the proof that you are a true disciple, really connected with Christ by faith, is that you bear fruit. So if you don't bear fruit, at the very least, we have to be asking the question, am I abiding in the vine? Am I really connected to the true vine that gives me this life, that produces this fruit in my life? I'm not dealing with this whole issue. I'm not. And I'm happy to talk about it afterwards if you want. I really want to focus on this text in particular. And this text is a warning. And we have to take it seriously. I don't want anybody walking away after this sermon and saying, well, I'm a true believer, I don't have to worry about that. That's not the meaning of the text. The meaning of the text is there are lots of people who seem the same. They all seem like they're believers. Whether they are or they're not, we don't know. And then some that are unfruitful are cut off from the vine, as it were, are thrown away. They wither and die and are burned. We have to take it seriously. We have to ask ourselves, am I a fruitful branch? Now, for an individual believer, this is what I see happen sometimes. Somebody comes to church and they seem to be a Christian. They say they are a Christian. But there's no fruit in their lives. And they're kind of coasting along for a while, and then they're gone. They're gone. Is it God taking them away? Maybe. Is it them drifting away finally? Maybe. I don't know. But it seems to fit this text. The point isn't that God rejects those who have rejected him necessarily. It's the unfruitfulness that's condemned here. For an organization, for example, there are churches and organizations that are rejected by God because of their fruitlessness. The, the recent uh, uh, Pew study um, has revealed that the Christian, people who identify with Christianity in this country is rapidly decreasing. The amount of the number of people is rapidly decreasing. And the reason mostly is because once proud and influential denominations, what we call mainline denominations, the traditional churches, are not able to not only grow, but they're not able to keep the people they have. They're not able to recruit pastors. Their seminaries are closing. Why? And that's been going on for a while now, and now it's really clear in the statistics. 
The reason is because they have not abided in the vine. They have not been fruitful. And God is rejecting them. And so they are dying and they're going to wither and they're going to go away. It's not even a question. It's going to happen. The churches that are doing well are the churches that are abiding in the vine. The Bible churches, Christian churches, gospel churches. Those churches are growing and they are being fruitful. But the other organizations and denominations who have rejected Christ and, and have really compromised their faith are going away. I think that's an example of what this text may mean. In Isaiah 5, there's a, there's a song of the vineyard. It speaks about Israel. God talks about Israel rejecting Him. God talks about Israel not bringing fruit, not bearing fruit. And He talks about the rejection of Israel in the exile. That's another example of the vine that does not bear fruit is rejected by God. I want us to listen to that. I know this is an uncomfortable passage. I know it probably raises theological questions in your mind. That's okay. You need to wrestle with that. And mostly on a practical level, looking at your life and saying, am I a fruitful branch? Am I in danger of being rejected by God? What is it about my life that tells me I am abiding in the vine? According to this, you cannot be a passive Christian. You cannot be a nominal Christian. You cannot just be somebody who's kind of there but is not bearing fruit. According to this, it's headed towards being thrown away. So please, let's take it seriously. Let's talk a little bit about the true vine. Jesus says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus is the true vine. All real fruit comes from Jesus and only from Jesus. There is no fruit without Jesus. And there is much fruit with Jesus. The question every church, and our church included in that, should be asking is, are we abiding in Christ? Because if we are not in Christ, we can do nothing. That's what Jesus says. You can do nothing without me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of substance, nothing of consequence, nothing of significance. The phrase that, that kept twirling around in my head through the study in this, this passage this week is everything with Jesus, nothing without Jesus. Everything with him, but nothing without him. It really is that categorical. If you have Jesus, you're abiding in him, you will bear wonderful fruit. But if you are not with Jesus, it doesn't matter what it looks like. None of that fruit is real. It's all manufactured pretend stuff. It's like you go into somebody's house and there's Beautiful pears in a glass bowl on the kitchen table, and you take one, and you realize it's not real. Plastic looks nice. It's not real. Without Jesus, you can do that, but you can't produce real fruit. But with Jesus, you can. Now, it seems obvious to us, right, that we need to be focused on Jesus, that it's God who matters in our church, this is why we're here, and yet... It's not obvious to everybody, and I hope we don't lose that. 
in our church. I, I was going through my files, and I found uh, a little advertisement in a, I think it was probably Time or Newsweek or something like that, a few years ago. It's pretty recent. And this is what it says. This is a whole-page ad in a major publication. This is the question. Is God keeping you from going to church? Is God keeping you from going to church? Maybe you're uncomfortable with the idea of God, or at least someone else's idea of God, yet maybe you yearn for a loving, spiritual community where you can be inspired and encouraged as you search for your own truth and meaning. This is a church, you ask? Welcome to Unitarian Universalism. Unitarian Universalist churches say that you don't have to have God to be part of church that you can have a loving spiritual community without God. In fact, you can come up with your own truth and your own meaning and belong to a loving, encouraging, and inspiring spiritual community. To that we say, and Scripture says, and Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's nothing. The slogan that Unitarian Universalist Church should adopt is, whatever. It's really a perfect, a perfect slogan for them. Are you looking for church? <laughs> Welcome to Unitarian Universalists. Whatever. There's no meaning here. There's nothing here, you see? There's no understanding of God. There really is no understanding of God. You can bring any understanding you want and be included in their church. And to that we say, that's not a church. It's something else. And that's okay if you want to get together with friends, you know. but it's not a church. A church is dependent on Christ. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. We really can't do anything apart from Christ. Let's not lose focus on Him. I'd like to explain what it means to abide in Christ. It's such a different word for us. Probably none of us really use it in, in regular conversation. To abide really means to stay or to remain or to dwell, to live. So the point here is connection, relationship, union with Christ. Abiding in Christ means entering into a union with Christ by faith. It also means ongoing experience of that connection, of that relationship. Really what Jesus is saying here is, be with me. Be with me. Be connected to me. Be in a relationship with me. Abide in me, meaning you are together with me. You're connected to me. There's a union, there's a relationship, there's a connection. That's what it means. How does the connection start? It starts through the gospel. In verse 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He's saying, yes, the Father is pruning you, but you're already clean. You're the proper kind of tree. You've already been cleared by the gardener because of the word that was spoken to you. What's the word? It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus' grace, that he came to live a perfect life for us when we can't live a perfect life, that he suffered and died a death that we deserve in our place, on our behalf, so that we don't have to experience God's wrath. It's his resurrection that through the resurrection we are given a new life and a new nature and a new fruit, We've become, in, we've become new kind of trees, new kind of branches. 
That's the gospel. It comes to you at a particular time. You learn it. You hear it. You understand it first. And responding to that by faith, you are grafted into the vine. You have a relationship now. You've become connected to Jesus and through Jesus to God. And that relationship is experienced through faith in the gospel as well. Because the more you understand the gospel, the clearer you remember that this relationship is by grace and it's through Christ, the greater your experience of the relationship is. Verse 7, if you abide in me, Jesus says in my words, my words abide in you, my words, the gospel, the teachings of Jesus, abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and will be done for you. If you are abiding in Christ, and you have a real experience of a relationship with him that is based on the right foundation, you will ask the right things, and God will be thrilled to give it to you. Because you are in a relationship with Jesus, and through Jesus with God. Now lastly, I want to talk about the fruit of the branches. Now there are several opinions, of course, if you read your study Bible, your commentaries, you will find that some people think that the fruit that is talked about in this passage is souls won to Christ, the conversions of your friends, your family members, your co-workers. So a fruitful branch is, is a person who shares the gospel with others and sees others come to Christ. That's one opinion. Another commentator, and actually many other commentators, think that the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. So love and joy and peace and kindness, those kind of things in your life is what Jesus means here. I think it's best to take it broadly and include those things. The fruit in the life of the believer, I think, is any and all expressions of Christ. One commentary puts it this way, fruit refers to sharing in the life of God and the activities that naturally come to expression when that life is present. So it's the divine life that flows through Christ into your life and outwards to others. Another commentator says, I believe that as we abide in Christ, he abides in us, and when he abides in us, Jesus Christ becomes evident in and through us. The fruit, then, is being Christ-like. It's being like Jesus. It's the life of God communicated through Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is the fruit. Of course, that includes all sorts of things. Does it include the fruit of the Spirit? Of course. As Christ abiding in you, and you abiding in Christ, and you becoming more like Christ, you will become kind and gentle and loving, and peaceful, and joyful, of course. That's what Christ is. And so those traits are going to be communicated through the Holy Spirit into your life as well. And as you express this life of God to others in your life, some of them will respond and they will be converted into their life too. So conversions of others is fruit as well. But really, any expression and all expressions of Christ in your life is the fruit of that is meant here. Now look at how all these specific things that Jesus mentions here flow from the Father through the Son to us. The divine life, the new nature. You're connected to the vine. The vine is a certain way, and so the branches are going to be a certain way, bearing certain kind of 
fruit. So for example, love. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you, abide in my love. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves us, and then verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you see the flow of the new nature? There's a flow here. Father loves the Son, the Son loves us, we love others. That's the fruit, because it is consistent with the nature. And so as the vine possesses love, so the branches possess love, and the fruit comes out as love. All these different things Jesus mentions have the same progression from the Father through the Son to us to others. Obedience, for example, verse, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, Jesus explains a little bit more what love is. It's obedience, it's service, it's listening, it's following, it's caring about that person and what's important to them. And so Jesus says, as he has obeyed the commandments of his Father, being sent to earth to rescue humanity. This was the Father's plan executed by God the Son. And so as Jesus did that out of his love for the Father, so now we are commanded to do what he commands us to do for the love of Jesus. The Father loves the Son. The Son obeys the Father. The Son loves us. We love the Son. We obey the Son. The same progression happens. Joy is another one, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Our joy is connected to Christ's joy because he rejoices in the will of the Father, because he rejoices in his relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We are now rejoicing with that kind of joy. And Jesus says, I command it to you so that your joy may be full. Not just mediocre joy. The point is that we'll bear much fruit. Not a little bit, but much fruit. That's joy. That's a joyful Christian life. Not based on circumstances. We all get happy about certain things. The Blackhawks won last night, double overtime. Lots of people happy in the neighborhood. But that's not the same kind of joy. That's a circumstantial joy. What happens when they lose? Hopefully not, Rosina. We're hoping... They win the next two, but what if they lose? A Christian would say, my joy isn't like that. It's not tied to circumstances. My joy is tied to the Trinitarian joy of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came so that that joy could be my joy and that this joy could be full. That's what he wants for us. The vine feeding the branches with that joy. And so we bear much fruit because we are abiding in the vine. Relationship with God is another type of fruit. Verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. If you follow me, if you respond to the gospel, Jesus says, You are my friends. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And then he talks about prayer, asking whatever you want and God will do that for you. It's a relationship. As the Son has a relationship with the Father, 
So we have a relationship with God through the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, planned by God the Father. It's prayer. That's another fruit. It's prayer part of your life. That's how you know if you're a fruitful branch. Do you have love and, 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 and relationship with God and prayer and joy? Those kind of things. This is how, how we're, we're wrestling with, with this passage. You look at yourself. Am I a fruitful branch? How do I know? Is the nature of Christ flowing into my life so that these kind of things happen with me? Joy that isn't based on circumstances. Love that is based in the Trinitarian interaction of God himself. And then, of course, we have truth. Verse 15, Jesus says, For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. The information, the right perspective on life, things that are true, have been communicated to us by God through the Son, through Jesus. Is your life marked by truth? You know what things are because God told you how things are. And you rejoice in it. This is not an exhaustive list. We're not really looking for lists in Scripture. This is the kind of life. It's a different quality of life. It's a fruitful life. And this is what it looks like. Based on the truth from God. Expressed in the love towards Christ and towards others. Jesus says there's no greater love that you don't lay, lay your life down for someone. That's the kind of love that he has for us, and so we have that kind of life for others. This is, this is a different kind of life, you see. We have joy that isn't based on circumstances. We pray and we communicate with God, and there's a relationship when we know if we ask something, he listens and he responds through Christ. That's the fruit. It's a quality of life. It's a different kind of nature working itself out through you towards God and towards others. Well, let's wrap this up. What's the application for us individually and for us as a church? Number one, believe in the gospel. That word has to come to you and cleanse you first. And then as you abide in him and his words abide in you, you experience that connection, that union with Christ. It becomes more and more real. You find different angles of it. You find different, different practices that are in it. And then we look at our lives and we say, are those traits of Christ, his life, his nature, his character, the divine life, are they in my life? Am I a fruitful branch? There has to be some self-examination. We have to look at ourselves and say, am I a fruitful branch? So heed the warning, claim the promise that he prunes you as you bear fruit so you can bear more fruit. And on a church level, of course, is our church fruitful? These things that Jesus is talking about, loving one another, rejoicing in Christ, even in the time of suffering, trust in Him when He's pruning us, when there are difficulties in the church, trust in Him that that's for our good. Is that the kind of church we are? Focused on Christ? Saying with Him we can do everything, without Him we can do nothing? Those are the traits of fruitfulness in the church. So let's pray. Let's pray that we become that. If we're not, let's pray that we become that kind of church. If we are, let's pray that God will prune us even more so we'll bear much fruit. And let's commit our own lives to him as well. If you're not a believer, I invite you to take this time to really consider where you are. Are you connected to the vine? Are you part of Christ by faith?
And if you're not, if you haven't responded to him as one who came to rescue you, to save you, to give you this new abundant life, the different quality of life, if you're not part of that, or as we say, if you haven't been converted, I pray and I urge you and I implore you that you would return to him, that you would come to him in faith and accept what he's done for you and respond in joy to him. If you are a believer, this is a good time for us to evaluate our lives, look into our hearts. Communion is such a wonderful symbol of abiding in Christ, isn't it? We come to the table and we eat and we drink, we connect with him. Yes, it's a reminder of what he's done, but it's also an experience of our union with him, of our connection with him. So if you are a believer, if you are a disciple of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've been converted, I encourage you and invite you to come to the table. You don't have to be part of our church to come to the table. You just have to be part of Christ to come to the table. So let me pray, and then I'm going to invite you to come, take communion. We're going to sing a song. After that, we're going to have a baby dedication, which is always exciting. And then uh, we will go our ways to live this out.